welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. This week, Amarachi Anacaronye and Lydia Mogus talk about the upsides and downsides of navigating the complexity of the nonprofit sector. I'm Amarachi Anacaronye, a podcaster, public radio producer, digital storyteller, and just all around African goddess. Hi, I am Lydia Mogus, and I am a public health professional with an interest in global health. How many years have you been working with nonprofits, for example, even on a volunteer level? Yeah, so I think when I left grad school for Mm -hmm. my master's in public health, I went into federal consulting. That was about a year. And after that, I went into nonprofit, but within the realm of academia, about a year of that. And now I'm at a nonprofit now. So let's say about two, two and a half years. Yeah, I think I've been working... Both on an internship, volunteer, and then like career-wise, probably nine years. It's longer than I expected. I was thinking about it earlier today, and I was like, huh, it's actually been a bit, almost a decade worth of work. So a lot of experience for sure. So Lydia and I, we met by an organization, a triangle organization called um, Young Africans of the Triangle. That's how we met, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a mutual friend. We're both um, of African descent. We have parents that are born in Africa, and we cover both sides, west and east here. <laughs> I, how long has it been, though? Like Two years? Yeah, yeah probably. Two. Yeah. What do you think of the nonprofit experiences? I mean, my first, and this may be because I'm recently stepped away from nonprofit mm. <laughs> um, for a bit, but it... the first impression, like, or my first, you know, reaction to it is, like, overworked, underpaid, and not developed as a professional. Boom. That's kind of like, yeah. But then, of course, there's the, you know, positive aspects to it. But yeah, go ahead. Dive in. I mean, I feel like it's just, when I, (laughs) based off of personal experiences, when I think about the nonprofit experience, I think about one person doing like five people's jobs underpaid. And you wear many hats and you're underpaid, understaffed, under-resourced. for sure. Um, But at the same time, I think about it on the positive realm of like, in every nonprofit that I've worked in, it's been people really, really passionate about what they do. So, yeah, you may be eating oodles and noodles, but you love what you do. <laughs> you may be broke, but you love what you do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What are some positive aspects for yourself as far as your experience? Like, I, I think my personal benefits from the nonprofit sector and the bit of, like the bit of work that I've done, again, will be I've worked with some of the most passionate, intelligent, predominantly women that I've in my life, as far as like my career goes thus far as a public health professional, as a digital media prof- professional within my nonprofit work, it has been some of the most driven, smart, innovative, creative people. Because when you have a lack of resources, you got to get creative and you it's a lot of it is like self-initiative of learning different things. So that's been the positive for me, but also too in every realm of life, whether we want to, whether we're conscious of it or not, we are impacted by nonprofits. I wanted to touch to your point with as far as it being majority women Mm. and strong women and such. But and I've noticed that as well. I feel like a lot of the nonprofits I've worked for are dominated by um, women. But it's very interesting when I went abroad and did some work in Ethiopia that it was about 90 percent males. Are you serious? In the nonprofit sector. And I mean, they're definitely stepping up as far as trying to integrate equality amongst staff and amongst their hiring process. So there are a lot of changes that are happening. 
it was very interesting. And I know it's like due to like cultures and the differences in that realm, but it was interesting how like here, even in my undergrad, because I still stay con- connected with the university that I went to, that they're constantly trying to recruit males. And so yeah. it is it is a more female dominated sector, I feel, so far from my experience. More power to us because <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's it was always needed, <laughs> you know, so we bring something different to the table. Yeah, and to see like other women that have actually paved the way for both of minority backgrounds as well as women in general, that in itself, I think is very, it's something that's always motivated me to have that because then there, there's a level of relatability to that journey. And so it's definitely something that like I've observed to be a good thing as well. And compassionate. I mean, I just think we women have a lot of compassion to yes. give. So, <laughs> you know, it's when you're dealing with humanitarian work and such, like I think it's it's definitely not that all nonprofit is humanitarian based, but the ones I've worked with at least, yeah, I think are more geared towards that. So it's good to have a kind heart, a giving heart. As far as being I think compassionate in the in the realm of the work, but I think with any setting you go into, there's variations of compassion. There's compassion in regards to work, but then there's like, you know, you work with different types of leadership there's styles. There's always two sides to the coin, of course. Yes. Like, <laughs> And I mean, I was so shocked. I, I remember my first job in the nonprofit sector where a paid job and it was, I was just shocked at the differences. There were some that were really there with good intents. And then there were some that I just felt like, it was the only job they could get type of narrative to it because it was like the way that they carried themselves and the way that they executed or even conversed or or were towards their coworkers and such was just borderline evil. I was just like, what is going on? I thought everybody was supposed to be like really kind and yeah. and like, you know, understanding. And it just, I expected a more humanitarian personality from people and you're right. It's not always, it's really not always there. People's, I guess, agendas or like what their motivations are very, they vary for yeah. sure. We're, so. we're complex. Humans are very complex. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it teaches you about humans for sure. Yes. <laughs> Particularly like when you're dealing with being, managing people, but mm-hmm. then when you're also being managed yourself and learning different how to adapt as far as adaptability mm-hmm. to responding to different people's learning styles, but also how different people manage and how those types of dynamics and relationships are interesting. As far as like professional development, what is your take on that in nonprofit, in the nonprofit sector? professional development yeah like how do you how much do you think nonprofits are actually invested in that all right i'm gonna kick it to you 100 because it's the only way i know how to do it um i look at professional development as a buzzword professional development in the sense of we ain't got nobody else to do this thing so go on google and learn how to do it and put it into practice but as far as you really be able to go to a conference and like or like be able to take extra courses or Mm -hmm. anything like that no, there ain't no time, there ain't no money, and yeah. that's something you just do in your own time. Yeah, that's been my experience, too. This is my theory behind it all. Okay. A nonprofit, when they develop their budget, when they develop their kind of like a business plan, right, or an organizational organization plan, where a nonprofit's focus is and how they think things will impact the end result, which is all about, of course, outcomes, matters. So... I think if 
there are ways that they probably could incorporate budget for professional development. That's and they fair. try. Some do try to a certain degree, but it's never sufficient. Like, it's it's just always, like, it, it never meets the expectations of staff. And it's like, if we think about trying to get the best staff, you know, to give you the best outcomes, then I think, like, you have to invest in your staff. Yeah. And how do you not invest in your staff and expect them to produce the best going forward and aligned with the organization's like agendas and such. No, I think that's a fair point. And I don't know, even with like what you were just saying, like I'll take it back a little bit what I said. I mean, I still stand by <laughs> 80% to 90% of it, but I'll take a 10% back. I mean, there have been some opportunities where, um, you know, you're able to do a conference here and there for a paper. Yeah. yeah there have been those experiences, but for the most part, you're learning on your own. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. In the midst of wearing 10 hats, in the midst of, like, trying to maintain your... Sanity. Your initial... <laughs> Sanity is true. <laughs> Sanity, huh. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. they don't expect any less of you when you come on board. And those job descriptions definitely are uh, under-listed um, <laughs> with the skill. <laughs> like, it, is, it does not represent <laughs> what you will be doing <laughs> in the nonprofit world. It really does not. At one point, I actually thought that they fed off of people's passions. Mm, elaborate. Like nonprofits feed off of people's passions. Um, so I was working in the social services realm for a bit. And I think that's a sector that is like, if you don't, it's like one of those jobs, like if you really did not have a heart for it, or if it was something that really was not part of your passion, then you just, you would not set yourself up to be in that type of work environment and like getting paid the rate that you're getting paid and like being worked on the level that you're being worked and mm -hmm. the stress level. I mean, when you're talking about dealing with people's lives and whether it's adolescents or it's adults or infants, like it doesn't matter. It's just the responsibility you take on, the burden you take on is just another level. So like with that, I think the only way is like you feed into people's passion and you're like, okay, we know that they're going to be passionate about it, especially if they got a degree in it. <laughs> Let's, I don't know. I don't feel like the compensation is anywhere near the level of like commitment that's given to it. I don't want to say this as a universal. It's because not universal. I don't think anything is a universal. Yeah. But true. I will say to an extent, when you say feeding, the first thing that pops my mind and again this is not a universal statement for all nonprofits, mm -hmm. but for some it's we'll make that disclaimer in the beginning yeah, I'm going to make, make that, that disclaimer <laughs> yeah. but it, to an extent it's exploitation of labor mm -hmm. it's exploitation of passion particularly when someone is like blood sweat and tears this is what they stand for this is yeah. about but like in certain ways, right now in my life, I, I'm privileged in the sense that, you know, I don't have mouths to feed. I don't have a, a family or anything like that. It, yeah. It's just myself that I'm taking care of. But I, I think to some extent, like, if I did have children or I did have a partner or, you know, God forbid, like, my, my mother or my father were sick or something like yeah. that, do I have the truly the funds for all the work that I do and all the hats that I have yeah. to take care of them sufficiently? Mm -hmm. No. Does Does my paycheck reflect really my labor? No, mm -hmm. even though I'm passionate about it, yeah. passion doesn't feed me. Passion doesn't put a roof over my head. Okay. I mean, I've always been someone that I've always had multiple jobs. One, because economically speaking, I always mm -hmm. want to be able to eat and I want to do more than survive. I want to thrive. But at the same time, not everyone is built that way. And for those that aren't built that way, what happens to them? Yeah. How do they survive? How do they do? How do they live? But particularly if you're not coming from a privileged background where you have families that are like, oh, you're passionate about that? Let's financially, emotionally, psychologically support you. Yeah. 
what happens to them? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. to an extent, and again, not a universal, but it is exploitation of labor, yeah. particularly when we're looking at funders of, well, for this five-year period, this is what we care about, you know, feeding the children in Africa or providing, you know, clean water for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But, well, five years later, hmm, I want something else. And you take that away. Like, what then? And I think this range true the older I get. Nothing in life is constant. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, particularly if you're able-bodied, um, you have the intellectual capacity, and you have the means or the privilege, because we all have our own forms of privilege to, you know, support yourself. You have to understand that and be quick and resilient to, you know, respond back. But at the same time, like, there are different systemic factors that that is not always possible. Yeah. I think you touched on something that I wanted to get into a little bit more the psychological health that <laughs> that is so impacted in a nonprofit sector in my personal experience and coworkers that I've worked with it's just sad that you're doing something that's that you're passionate about and you're doing something that you think the organization is is for and will support and and it's just it's sad how like the psychological impacts and the residue of what you're doing and being overworked or being, what was the term you used? Exploited? Yeah. So being I exploited. Said- <laughs> you know, like, it just, it's not, it's not okay. It's really not okay, the state of mind. It took me, it took me a few months to really, like, regain my sense of, like, understanding and, like, get get myself kind of balanced again. Yeah, after I left one of my jobs, like, it just... It was very interesting the amount of strain it put on me psychologically. And I don't understand how there's not enough support to really help that. Because, I mean, if you're causing, if you have staff that's working for you, and again, like you said, disclaimer, of course, it's not that they don't have some resources, but it's not always enough because it's incorporated in your day-to-day and how, like, the the ship is ran, basically, right? Mm. So, like... So in that sense, I think that so many people are burned out. So many people are operating in a level of burn, of being burned out. And that in return gives you like work that is not, you know, 100% or it's not always on the best level. The person is not able to present themselves in their best, in their best form because of that level of burnout. And it's like you don't have an alternative. So that concept of, you know, just work with what you got and, and keep it going is not. I completely agree with you about that. And I am an individual that's all about work-life boundaries, um, work-life balance and boundaries. And I'm I'm real quick on it. No, I can't do that. Mm. Or no, I do feel overwhelmed. Um, I'm real quick to, you know, throw that out there. That's good. I had to learn that the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's real though. That takes time though. Um, But I think in a a former position that I had, um, we were doing a lot of work where engaging with clients with a lot of second, like, with listening to their narratives, yeah. I experienced a lot of secondary trauma. Yeah. And that took a toll on me. And I don't know. No, it's not even I don't know. I was not prepared for that yeah. psychological response in mm-hmm. listening to their narratives on a day-to-day-to-day basis. I don't have a background in social work. Mm-hmm. I don't have a background in any type of psychology. Of, and it was interesting because the PI would always kind of her, her commentary was about compartmentalization. However, I'm very empathic. And for me... That did not come intuitively to me, compartmentalizing things. And that really took a toll on me. Um, And ultimately, you know, I had to go to therapy and I'm still in therapy. Shout out to therapy. 
And, and a lot of that, there's so much stigma around therapy. And it's like therapy is literally like we have therapy in so many forms yes. already. Yes. You know, with our girlfriends, the, the conversations that we have at coffee shops or over dinner or over drinks or, you know, conversations that we have was like for those that are religious was their, you know, pastors or those that are leading in the mosque, wherever. Mm-hmm. And it's like. There's, I mean, we, we have positive and negative therapies. I mean, you can, yeah, you can yeah, drink fair. a whole bottle of wine or you can, you know, actually go and exercise over yeah, the, you know, so yeah. therapy is like, I think the stigma definitely needs to be taken away from it. You're just mm-hmm. having someone help guide you and help you figure out your thoughts and your feelings and like how to like continue on in this society and in this world in the best way for it. So, I mean, it's just help, in my opinion. Yeah. Good help, great help, educated help. <laughs> so. And I'm saying the same thing as well, <clears throat> but I think my ultimate point that I'm coming from is, like, somehow having it built into the institution. Yeah. Um, particularly if your work is grounded in that. And I understand, again, as an able-bodied adult with the capacity to, you know, of course, find my own resources for therapy and to finance it as well. That has been a privilege of mine. Again, if you're being underpaid, like, yeah. where are those resources to do that? Yeah. Because they're not cheap. insurance only covers like so three sessions much. and you're done. <laughs> it don't cover that much. <laughs> see yourself staying within the nonprofit sector yeah and this is open-ended like yeah a year from now five years from now ten like what do you see for yourself i know that question is a legitimate question for me so i guess i gotta speak to the positive aspects not by default but because i do believe in certain aspects of nonprofits, and that of course it stems from a place of good like with a lot of businesses like their goal is of course profit right so here the goal more so is to help a population in need um or change a narrative or change the outcome of something in the world that is impacting humans and so in that sense you know to have all these nonprofits exist and to have them whole you know their their whole focus being on bettering the world in the in the forms that they can like that is major and that's necessary like i mean you have good and evil like the balance of the world like requires that we have you know those that are contributing their efforts and their resources and their funds towards this so i'm definitely a believer in nonprofits mm. so i wouldn't i would not see myself saying that i'd never uh step back in that sector mm. I think it's it's a beautiful thing to because, I mean, the experience that we get definitely teaches us lessons that we'll never learn just strictly by listening to others. Um, But it allows us to definitely like see the world in a different light. It allows us to see, you know, the career world in a different light. And it just it gives us an opportunity to define like who we are, what we want to be, what we want to stand for. I remember the days because I would I would talk to people that actually used to work for that did work for one of the organizations I worked for. And they were like, yeah, we barely got paid. It was more volunteer than anything. And this was like probably 15 years ago. Um, so like it was the the job was more of a humanitarian volunteer type of work. And now it's transitioned into where it is. It's providing jobs for people to come and do this job, mm-hmm. to do something good and actually be compensated for it and actually, right. you know what I mean? So, like, at one point, 
it did not exist where people were actually like where it could be a career path. Like it's it's great that it is and it allows someone to solely focus on their passions and like and actually make that a career. So I mean I, I appreciate it for those things. It doesn't limit us to things that a nine to five job that maybe you you have no desire to be at type of thing. That's you right. know, so it yeah. it gives you those those options. So mm-hmm. for me, I hope even one day to potentially <sighs> Yeah, let's just speak this into existence, hoping that it will happen. (laughs) But I hope one day that I can I can branch out and also be able to have my own nonprofit and be able to make an impact. Um, And all these lessons that I've learned and everything I've touched on today, um, with a grain of salt, of course, everything would be what is going to help me execute that better. Mm. And so it just. You know, I think I don't regret any of my decisions in the past. I don't regret my experiences. I've only learned from them. So, like, for me, it's definitely something that I have not sealed that door on. I have not said that I'm going to stem away from. I'm currently still looking at other nonprofits, (laughs) you know. (laughs) um, I understand. For, you know, potential career paths. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely not something I'm closing the door on. What about yourself? I don't know. I have a mix of feelings. Yeah, I kind of feel the same as you. I don't regret any of my past experience in nonprofits because mm. with wearing many hats, you pick up many skills. Yeah. Um, and those skills have led me well. They've made me a more attractive candidate, applicant, able to serve myself better as an entrepreneur. And just really, it's really made me more well-rounded as far mm. as my skill set and my understanding of the world holistically. Yeah. Um, so I'm forever thankful for that. I would say I'll leave the, the door to nonprofits ajar. It's cracked. It's not completely wide open, <laughs> but it's, I mean, I'm always open to opportunity. I don't, I don't yeah. ever shut the door to anything. You know, yeah. why would you ever shut the door to opportunity? And I have met some really great people and for a great opportunity, for the chance to do great work with great people, I'm always down for the ride. Of course, as I'm getting older and I have more responsibilities, though, mm-hmm. I am more cognizant of that, of being an advocate for myself, particularly when it comes to capital, particularly yeah. as a single woman of color who has a lot of different ventures that she's interested in wants to do. At the end of the day, I am a businesswoman and I do think in those realms and I expect to get paid for, you know, what I do. And I, I don't have any regrets in saying that because if a man said it, he wouldn't be judged. He would be, there'd be no question about it. But as a woman, I would probably get judged about it. I feel that way. And I feel very strongly about it. Yeah. Pay equity. I was, you did touch on like, meeting great people and I I mean for me I feel like the jobs I've had I had been there as long as I had not only for my passion my personal passion for what I was doing but the people I was working with they were like the teams I was a part of was just ridiculous like the the connection and the bonding I mean because we were all going through the same issues with (laughs) the organization so you know there was an understanding there but in addition to that it's just to have such a diverse group of people come together and contribute to the team in a way that the diversity piece itself was I thought was really like yeah. it's rare like yeah. it's rare that you find that level of diversity and it's it's something that you know as a first generation african like it just it allows me to actually relate to and feel more comfortable and at home with so mm. like when i'm coming to work i'm not feeling like an outcast i'm feeling like you know i'm a mm. part of <laughs> A group that is actually understanding of me so and 
I love culture. And so with that, it's like to be able to, especially when you're working with a diverse, like your work is to help a diverse group of people, like the population you're helping are so diverse. Like you, I think a level of understanding is necessary. So like to have a team that is really on board, you know, that is very intelligent, that is well experienced, and that's able to um, understand past the education level to like the cultural aspects of things. Like, I think that's always so valuable. So I mean, but also too, I think as I'm again, with getting older, you don't necessarily get to choose the people you work with. And you don't necessarily have to like your coworkers, but you do have to work with them and find a way for the the good of the whole to make it work. Your experience and your narrative could bring to the table um, a lot of knowledge for them, right? And a lot of, like, insight in a world that maybe they've never had any experience in. And so do you feel like you are able to open up? Do you allow yourself to be that free in your, you know, work environments to be able to, like, educate them culturally and educate them, like, in ways that maybe they lack? That's a really, really good question. I was just reading an article about this. Might have been Harvard Review Journal or New York Times or something. I'm usually up in the morning on Twitter reading articles. But uh, it was an article particularly about, um, it was within the business sector, but it was talking about um, how in order to move along the, um, the professional ladder, to a certain extent, you have to build personal rapport with your coworkers mm-hmm. where the conversations go beyond the professional realm, but like not, not personal necessarily about like certain things, but like, you know, what, what if you're a sports team or, you know, your children or whatever the case may be, but to cert- to a certain level, you have to be able to open up because that rapport builds engagement to then help you as- along the professional ladder. But the research was saying that among particularly people of color who work within uh, predominantly white environments or sectors, how it's a lot of times harder for us to open up, not necessarily because we don't want to or we're against it on like a racial basis, but that sometimes it may be a thing of like, I remember one of the quotes, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I I can't say it verbatim, but um, one of the, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but one of the individuals was saying, I mean, it's cool, like I try to engage, but those television shows they're talking about, I ain't never seen them shows before, so how can I engage? Yeah. So we do have those cultural differences, but um, not even cultural differences, just like your preferences, right? Yeah. Going back to your question about, you know, in my work sector, how open am I? I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of times in a lot of different professional opportunities I've had, I just kind of vibe people out. Um, and what I mean by vibing someone out is I'm naturally going to observe before I open up, both <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not one of those people like, yeah, last night I went. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to be open when I first come yeah. into anything. Yeah. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to observe. I'm not going to lie. I do listen to what people say in regards to other individuals, but it doesn't necessarily influence how I engage with that person. Yeah. It, it's always going to play in the back of my head. But I use it as a cautionary thing. Yeah. But it, really, a lot of my engagement with people is based off of one, my observations. And two, I use kind of like warm up questions to kind of gauge people. And mm-hmm. also my personal experiences with them kind of gauge how open I am with them or how closed off I am. So my answer to your question, a long way of, it's a long way of saying yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times, and that's because, as again, as a person of color, a woman of color, um, in the United States, particularly in this political era... For my sense of safety, sometimes I just need to be a blank slate mm-hmm. and do what I can to do, get my check and go home. Yeah. However, there are times where people are really interesting. And it, when pe- sometimes when people do open up and share their stories with you, it's almost like I can take that risk of vulnerability. Yeah. I can take that chance. And maybe it may burn me. 
but I'm okay with taking that risk. Mm. But I think it's, I, I, I want to make that point very clear because sometimes being closed off is not for the sake of, oh, I'm being cold and standoffish. No, it's for the sense of safety because there have been experiences where my kindness or my openness or my vulnerability has been used against me. Yeah. And I got too many things I want to do. I don't have time for that. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's from a place of protection, not a place of coldness. I don't know if it's always, I don't know. I don't want to come across being very negative about what I'm saying per se because it's not I think like anytime you're having a real conversation it's like because I love to look at things from every side and every aspects of things so it's I have to like be able to present like the good with the bad if we're going to identify it as good or bad it's just like areas of improvement versus like you know areas that are are doing great so yeah and I love it too I think you make an interesting point about I don't think this conversation in any sector, so beyond the nonprofit sector, then we're talking about professional realms. I don't even want to look at it as a binary of good and bad. It's a continuum. And I say this a lot in my own like work, like journalism, but the answers to a lot of problems are not black and gray. They're in shades of gray. And somewhere in the gray, there's an answer. And based off of your perspective is where that answer is. I think it's also, it's, it's about how you really... I mean, because it's perspective, right? Mm. And so perspective and experience, but perspective can really change the narrative. The way you approach a nonprofit can give you back different results, Mm. you know? Mm. So self-development, whether they're invested in you or not, I think as an individual, especially trying to work in a nonprofit world that is going to take a lot from you, you have to make sure to have channels of where you're being poured back into. Boom. So, I mean, I think that is such a key, key factor to be able to survive in that sector and to be able to last and really um, make a great impact. So for me, that has been a great lesson that I've learned. And, you know, I always think that people need to be their best selves. And so in order to do that, you have to invest in yourself first Mm. and then you can demand of others to invest in you. Mm. And so you'll even know your worth enough to be able to do that. And, and that goes across how you even execute whoever you're trying to help from their rights and standing up for their rights to knowing um, how to help them get out of, you know, different mental hurdles and such. And so, I mean, to be able to get to whatever outcome that they need to get to. There's, I mean, one other thing I did want to point out is like with nonprofits, I definitely feel like the collaboration piece, I think a lot of people feel this way, (laughs) but like when you're forced to be in groups and work with people, like it's just your worst nemesis. Like you just hate to be in those situations. And I don't know, it's, it's, I have yet to meet someone that's like, yeah, I loved group work unless they weren't contributing. Like if, if they were that individual, then of course they would enjoy it. Everything was being done for them, but you know, for the most part, it's just because you're having to deal with such different individuals that you do not know for the most part. So in the same way, like with the nonprofit world, I'm saying like, there's so much collaboration that happens. And it's something I've come to really value because there's no way sometimes that you're able to execute a greater vision without collaborating with others that have the same like agenda. (laughs) I respect that, Lydia. I think that's the most beautiful, positive way to end it all. And I agree with you so much in regards to like the beauty of it is the collaboration for the good of the whole, for the good of mankind, for the good of whatever your cause is. And that no one can ever take away that you give back to yourself for all it takes. That's what you give back to yourself. Something just came to me as you were talking. It was like, I, I can view 
any like entity or group or organization or business or such as like a image of a human, right? Mm. So humans are flawed. Humans yeah. have so many messy, <laughs> but we're constantly growing, right? Yeah. And like, and we also come to the table with so much like baggage. <laughs> but I'm saying even the diversity is beautiful in yeah. humans though and like how much we bring to the table and the ways that we think and the differences in ourselves you know also is like the equivalent of these nonprofits or businesses or such that you know that are a representation I just feel like it's it's a form of a human in its sense so like all the flaws and all the good things that come with human also comes with a nonprofit. Thank you for listening to the nonprofit experience. If you like what you hear, please support our work. Rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and help keep this project sustainable by donating at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear, our graduate editor is Kristen Gollihue, and our graduate assistant editor is Preston Woodward. This episode was produced by Kristen Gollihue. Our theme music is an original score by David Mueller. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at www.philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play.